You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. The weather broke. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's worth a clap. I want to thank God for something. Thank God that the winter has subsided. Hopefully it doesn't come back until when it's supposed to. Um, so the season for weddings is coming up. Anyone been invited to a wedding? Yeah, anyone got an invitation waiting for a wedding? Yeah? Um, I don't know if you like weddings or not. Enjoy going. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that is associated with weddings. When we think about weddings, think of perfect couple and like a, a, a cool church facility and everything decorated nice, everyone dressed real nice and people crying or just sniffling appropriately. I mean, bawling during one would be a little strange. Uh, how many guys have ever, be honest, you ever cried during a wedding? Raise your hand. Any, I don't see any guys' hands. That, listen, you can raise your hands, guy. I will judge you, but you can raise your hands if there's a guy in here that cries at a wedding. I honestly, I, I'm... I, I have, uh, I don't get it. I don't get the crying at weddings thing. Like I always am looking at the people who are crying when they're crying during a wedding instead of looking up front. Like, I'm like, wow, what are you guys crying about? What's, what's, what's there to be crying about at this wedding? Sometimes I'm the guy who's like maybe crying for the reason that everyone else is not crying. Like you're looking up there going, man, I don't know about this wedding. <laughs> maybe you're crying for that reason. I mean, come on. You, you don't have to raise a hand. You don't even have to nod. I'm definitely the guy sometimes who's like, and I know there's got to be a few of you out there too that maybe do the same thing, but you're, you, you get a wedding invitation or you see an engagement or whatever, and you're like, ah, I don't know about this one. I'm not sure about it. I, I don't know, man. Things, this is not looking real good. Like, you know, maybe you're not betting with anyone else, but in your mind, you're like, ah, I, I, the odds ain't real good that this one's going to work out. And again, you don't have to acknowledge that you do that, but I know you've secretly had those thoughts sometimes. You'd never even say it out loud, but you're wondering, you see something that doesn't, you know, we have this list that needs to be checked in order for something to have a good chance, right? We all have our checklist. Everything's got to be in place where, okay, this will work. And then maybe if a few of those boxes aren't checked, we're thinking, oh, maybe it's not a good chance that this one's going to work out. And the story we're going to talk about today doesn't check any of those boxes. Because we're going to talk about marriage today as a picture of our relationship with God. And the title of the message is A Prophet and a Prostitute, right? There's no hiding the doomsday scenario that that is. That checks no boxes, right? A prophet and a prostitute. You look at that, you get that, you imagine getting that wedding announcement? If you even choose to go, you know you're going to be shaking your head. You're going to be shaking your head at the announcement, much less sitting in the ceremony going, what is going on? You talk about baggage. You talk about doomed to fail. Like this is definitely going to fail. And honestly, it doesn't matter how old you are. We all have perceptions of a marriage relationship. Whether you're a kid and you've watched it in your parents and adults around you, uh, whether you're in a marriage or were in a marriage, we all have a viewpoint that we see marriage through. We've watched them fail, we've watched them struggle, we've watched them flourish, we've watched brokenness, and all of us have this perception of how marriage should be, how it should go, and what's gonna make it doom, what's gonna make it fail. And so we look at this, and honestly, for me, unfaithfulness is strange. When someone chooses willfully to do something to harm their marriage, it is very strange, it's a strange thing. But honestly, unfaithfulness, the marriages that survive it, that always amazes me even more. 
Like how did that horrible thing not doom that marriage? When a couple survives something terrible, it's, it's strange and it's amazing to me. Those are the ones I look at and be like, man, what, what made it so that that didn't break? Because as much as we hate unfaithfulness, a lot of times when we, when we see unfaithfulness, not just in a marriage relationship, in any relationship, if we're watching it from an outside perspective, sometimes we'll look at unfaithfulness and we'll think it's bad, but honestly, we'll, we won't judge the person for, for breaking their covenant and bailing, for dropping that person or getting out of the relationship because the, the grievance, the, the sin, the, the harm was so great that we wouldn't blame the offended person for giving up on the marriage. We would say, you know, maybe we would even think, go ahead and do it. We think you should because this person has so wronged you, has, has so done terrible things to you that you should leave that marriage. So, so when it survives, it's, it's crazy and it's strange. And so the question we're gonna deal with this morning, and, and again, in a spiritual sense, is does unfaithfulness have to be the end of the relationship? Does unfaithfulness always doom a relationship to fail forever? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to all of us who are gathered here this morning. Show our hearts what you want to show us. I pray that you would help us to, to grasp the intensity, the gravity of this metaphor, this picture this morning that you're trying to create and you did create for us. I pray that that intensity would cause us to think more deeply and more than that, it would cause us to respond to you and to act on what we're hearing and seeing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Truly one of the strangest scriptures, strangest books of the Bible is Hosea. No other book is uniquely as strange, as weird, upsetting, and disturbing as the book of Hosea. And so let's take a look at it. I'd encourage you to read the whole book for yourself. You won't really grasp the, the intensity and the, and the broad scope of this metaphor we're talking about unless you really read the whole book. We're just gonna fly over it and snipe a few passages to get an idea. Uh, but there's a lot of richness here. So let's check out uh, Hosea chapter one. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, part of uh, God's people. He was called to speak God's message. So God came to him and said, Hosea, I want you to have a ministry to talk to these people and to get through to them what I want you to get through to them. And not only am I going to speak through you, I need to mess up your life a little bit to get their attention so that it's really, really clear. Poor Hosea. Hosea 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, to remind us that this is a historical people, historical occurrence, historical place and time. This is actually a real group of people that God was trying to reach out to and speak to through Hosea, and the words are eerily uh, applicable to us today. Verse two, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, I'm sure he dreaded this day, go marry a promiscuous woman, as if that isn't enough. But, he says, and have children with her, with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Whoa, holy smokes. I mean, just drink that in for a second. I mean, part of really grasping the gravity of that is looking at those words, promiscuous woman, and go ahead in your mind right now and substitute all of the words you know that are synonyms for that. Yeah, that, that is what he's trying to communicate. Every word you can think of to describe and to be a synonym of prostitute is exactly what God is trying to communicate. It is that forceful. It is that offensive. It is that intense. 
He's saying, go and marry this person. So, verse three, God bless Hosea. I mean, a lot of us would be like, look, God, I'm willing to go a long way for you, but this just way crosses the line. Here at verse three, he says, so he did it. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Wow, you think, really? Like, that's a little dramatic, right? I mean, was it really that bad? Is re- that comparison, that metaphor is filthy. It's dirty, it's obscene, it's intense. Like, really? Is God just being dramatic? I mean, were they really like that? Can we really be like that? I mean, does, do we really get that bad when it comes to God? So if, so if, if our relationship with God and the, and the Bible throughout the Bible uses marriage as a metaphor to describe our relationship with God, we could learn a lot from that metaphor. This is the negative side of it. Can our hearts be prone to wander like that? I mean, really what's happening here? I mean, look at that potent picture. Do our hearts do that? Do we wander from God in that same way? Is our relationship with God supposed to be kind of like a marriage? And can we walk that far away where this is the worst kind of infidelity? I mean, I can think of a lot of things that would be less crazy and awful than this. This is the worst. Is it really that bad? Can we really be that bad? And from God's perspective, the answer is yes. Because he clearly chose that metaphor to illustrate how he perceives what our relationship should be, what he longs for it to be, what he wants it to be, and what we are prone to do in our humanity and our wandering. We don't see it like a marriage, and so we carry on in certain ways. And God's saying, man, this is really what that amounts to. To punish us, to make us feel bad? Is it just God who suffers from this? It's to get our attention because he doesn't want that. And he's never wanted that. And we think, okay, well, that's too bad for God. You know, if, if he feels that way, does, it, does this, when we do that, when we're unfaithful, when people kind of walk away on their relationship with God, as he's illustrating here, does it just affect God? Does it just make him upset? Hosea 4 answers that question. Hosea 4, 1. If you skip ahead a few chapters. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. We think, well, you know, God does that a lot, Neil, to charge this and charge. Really, like, is that, well, if you think about how you would feel in a marriage relationship, if your spouse or someone super close to you broke their agreement or walked away from you or didn't do what they promised to do or, expect, or were expected to do what they're supposed to do, that's not too strong language to use. That's a confrontation, basically. It's saying, hey, like, th- this isn't right. You're not living the way you should. So I think we can understand it in the context of relationship. We can understand that language. He says, I've got a charge to bring against you. I'm confronting you. There is no faithfulness. There's no faithfulness. No love. No acknowledgement of God in the land. Does that create too much to ask? I mean, don't we expect that out of our close relationships? Like, acknowledge my presence? Look me in the eye? Like, treat me like I'm a person, like I exist? And God's saying, you're not even acknowledging me. You treat me like I'm not even here, like I don't even exist, like I'm a passing thing. So he says, he, he goes on, he says, no acknowledgement of God in the land, there's only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. It's a picture of what happens when we choose individually and collectively, we just, we're just gonna do whatever we want. We're gonna chase whatever our, wherever our lusts take us, wherever our feelings take us, wherever our anger takes us, we're just gonna go there. And this is what ends up happening. And he says, because of this, in verse three, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. 
The beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea are swept away, wastes away. This picture of a life without God, when we choose to kind of go after a dry land, when we choose to try to drink out of a dry well, instead of being where we belong, where we were created to be, in this beautiful, flourishing, fulfilling relationship with the one who created us, with the one who truly loves us, that's always been God's plan. And unfaithfulness is a, is a stranger thing. And it's a stranger thing in multiple ways. The first way it's a stranger thing is because it chooses strangers. Unfaithfulness chooses strangers over the familiar, the faithful, over flourishing, over, over what truly brings us contentment and peace, over covenant and agreement, knowing what to expect, serving, unselfishness. Unfaithfulness always chooses, chooses the illusion, chooses strangers, chooses the fleeting pleasure. That's what unfaithfulness does. And it's also a stranger thing because it's just odd that, that any of us ever choose that. Like, why do we do that? Why would we ever choose the temporary over the eternal? Why would we ever choose the physical over the spiritual? Why would we ever choose pleasure over fulfillment? Why do we do that? It's strange that we do that. And you look at Hosea and you think, I mean, it's crazy. Dude married a prostitute. That's so strange. It's even stranger that she chose to be one. That she chose strangers is even stranger than he than he, him choosing to marry her. That's the real strange thing here. The real strange thing is why in the world, from an objective standpoint, do we do this? Why do we think something's gonna bring us fulfillment when it's of our own making? How do we think that we hold the ultimate purpose for our life over this loving God who, who clearly made everything, who shouts to us that he loves us through his creation, who's always reaching to us? Why do we choose unfaithfulness? Why are our hearts so prone to be unfaithful. Unfaithfulness is truly a stranger thing. And if you read the book of Hosea, it, it shows us a, from a negative side what unfaithful, unfaithfulness is, and it shows us what faithfulness is. And if you read through, you'll see a lot of different aspects of what faithfulness looks like and what unfaithfulness looks like, because he goes into great detail to describe what their unfaithfulness actually means, okay? More than just a general statement. And this is what God has always wanted. And you read through, you pull all this out of the book of Hosea. He's always wanted a loving relationship. It's always been God's intention from the very beginning. He's always just wanted to enjoy a loving, fulfilling, loyal relationship with us. He has always wanted recognition, always. He just wants us to recognize who he is and who we are and what each of our roles are in the relationship. He's always wanted that. He's always wanted exclusivity. And again, if we think about our relationship with God in terms of a marriage, that doesn't sound crazy, right? I mean, we don't wanna share our spouse with anyone else. Even some of the people close to us, we don't want that relationship tarnished by some foreign, strange thing coming into it and messing it up. He's always wanted exclusivity. He's always wanted sincerity. Don't we all want that? Over lip service, over just doing it because we feel like we have to, he's always wanted our hearts. He's wanted us to want him. He's wanted us to want to love him. Dependency. The Israelites, when they had a problem, they were always turning to other, they were turning to the Egyptians, turning to the Assyrians, always looking for another solution to their problems other than their true spouse, their, their true husband. I mean, think about that. In a marriage relationship, even in a very close friendship, don't we want to be asked for help? 
Don't we want the ones who love us to ask us for help, to reach out to us instead of going to a stranger for help? Why would you do that? Maybe you've even said that to people before. Like, why'd you call them? You should have called me. I could have helped you. I wanted to help you. And God's saying the same thing to them. Like, I want you to be dependent on me because not only do I love you and want to do that, but those other people and things, they can't help you the way I can. I can actually help you. Turn to me. Why would you go to someone else? Go to strangers. He wants consistency. One of the verses in Hosea describes the love of his people like this. Your love is like, like the morning dew. It's fleeting like the morning dew. Man, you can see where that would hurt the heart of God. What of us wants that out of people? What if, one, what if you didn't know what to expect when you wake up in the morning? You come to your spouse or a good friend, you call them and you never know what you're gonna get. Are they gonna love you today or not love you today? How that hurts the heart of God. We can see it clearly how that hurts him when we look at it through the lens of this marriage relationship that God is communicating through. He wants loyalty. He wants action. Not just words. We're great at giving words, and it mentions that in Hosea too. You acknowledge me with your words, but there's no action to back it up. You say you love me, but then you, you don't back it up. And again, all of us expect that. We don't want just words of the people we love and that love us. We expect action because that's what a relationship is built on, action that proves the words to be true. Attentiveness. We want to be listened to. We want someone to look us in the eyes because that communicates I love you and I see you. God wants us to be attentive to him, to listen to him, to focus on him, to take time to pay attention to him. He wants righteousness. The people that we love and we're close to, don't we want them to be great people? To love integrity, to treat others well, and to live good, solid lives and make healthy decisions? God wants the same for us, and when we don't do that, it hurts his heart. Righteousness, responsiveness. When he calls, we answer. When he texts, we're there. We all want this. God wants it too. Memory. Man, can you imagine if the people closest to you in your life, your best friend in the whole world, you, you come up to greet them, give them a hug, they're like, who are you? Man, it'd be painful. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, how could you treat me like this? Did you, do you not remember who was there for you last year? Like when you were in the hospital, do you remember who showed up? When you needed money, do you remember who showed up? Like, is it so strange that God would feel that way about us? Like, you don't remember? You're, you're acting like I've never done anything for you? Like, is this the way it is between us? That hurts, just like it would hurt us. Affection. Affection. There's no substitute for that. Just loving on each other, enjoying a love relationship with tender words and positive, healthy encouragements, affection, and devotion. God's always wanted these things. And it's so strange that we choose not to enjoy that relationship with him when we don't. And what drives us away? Unfaithfulness is a stranger thing. And you'd think that'd be the end. For any relationship, usually unfaithfulness, as drastic as this is, you think it's over, right? It's over. When we walk away from God, a lot of times we feel like that. Man, I have, I've screwed up too much. I'm too far from God. I'm too far gone. This life has me. It owns me. And actually, sin is like that. When we choose to walk away from God to that wasteland, sometimes we get so lost in that wasteland, we cannot find our way back. But unfaithfulness doesn't have to be the end, at least not with God. Look at Hosea chapter 3. So you rewind again. Hosea chapter 3. Man, this, this, is, this is so deep, this passage. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. 
though she is loved by another man and is currently an adulteress. She's not looking at home. She's not coming home. She's not thinking of home. He says, you, Hosea, be like me. You go to her. You go find her where she is. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods, and this is weird, and they love the sacred raisin cakes? <laughs> okay, those must have been some awesome raisin cakes. I have no idea what these raisin cakes were. I don't know if it was something using idol worship or whatever, but whatever these raisin cakes were, they must have been really good. I don't know what they were putting in these raisin cakes, but people were going after these raisin cakes and they were getting rid of God. Like, raisins? I mean, I'll eat raisins, but they ain't that good. I don't care what you put them in, a cake, a, a, a dumpling, I don't know. Raisins are never gonna be that awesome. There had to be something else in those raisin cakes. I mean, I don't know what your raisin cake is. You know, maybe yours is double chocolate or, or whatever. Very crazy. But you know what? That just illustrates to me, honestly, like how, how when looking at it from an objective standpoint, it illustrates how dumb some of the things we turn to instead of God, how dumb it really is. Like on the face of it, it's like, man, you'd, you'd give up your relationship with God for a raisin cake? You would give up your relationship with God for, for like this pleasure or this thing that you, right? And we laugh at that, but it's true for all of us. We all have a raisin cake. I wonder what your raisin cake is. You know the thing that we're like, man, can I have God and the raisin cake? Can I have God and this thing at the same time? The thing that, that pulls us away? The thing that if we really stepped out of ourselves, we really put ourselves in the place of God, that worldly pleasure that seems so awesome to us that if we look at it from an objective standpoint, we'd say, that, that's dumb. Like, I, I, I should never exchange my relationship with this awesome God and all of the awesome benefits and love for this stupid little fleeting pleasure over here. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And we can live years and years of our lives trying to eat the raisin cake and serve God. That's just the way we are. I mean, I've met so many people with raisin cakes. I, I have my raisin cakes. We all have raisin cakes. Gotta get rid of the raisin cakes. Why? Because they ain't, they're not even close. But man, the power of this passage. I have to tell you, I sat here this morning during worship thinking about this more. Go show your love to your wife again. Look at verse two. He goes and he says, so I bought her. I bought her. If you read your Bible, does that sound familiar? I bought her back. You know what I wondered as I thought this? And man, it gets me every time. What part of town did Hosea have to go to to find her? And what state was she in? A prostitute living in squalor of her own making, maybe enslaved at this point, lost all hope for going home. And Hosea goes and searches those dirty streets, goes into that dark, dank, filthy place where this filthy, I'm sure she didn't look anything like a bride on a wedding day, goes and finds her where she is. Man, the power of that is not lost on me as I stand here. Because I remember where God found me. I remember that dark, hopeless, broken place that I couldn't get out of and I wasn't sure how I was gonna get out of it. And I remember the only light that I could see was a God who cares enough that when his people are not looking for him, he comes looking for them. He walks into the filthy place where we are of our own making and reaches out a clean hand to show us the way home. 
I don't know what picture you have of God this morning, but that's Jesus. That's God. And any other picture is just not accurate. Jesus comes down into this dirty, filthy, broken place of our own making, and he extends a hand to bring us home. He makes a way out when we can't see that there is one, and maybe we don't even know enough to want one. He dies in our place. He takes our place in that slavery moment where we're trapped and shackled by our own sin. He shackles himself so that we can be made free. How much was she worth? Not much financially, because he didn't pay much. He says, for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of lethic, uh, and a lethic of barley, which isn't very much. That's how far she had degraded. And then he reaches out to her, and just like God does to us, he says, he says, I told her, you are to live with me many days. This is my plan for you. You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute anymore or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. He goes down and he says, can we start over? In that filthy moment, not fit to be a bride, he says, I'm, off, I'm laying down that stained covenant again. Will you sign this again? I'm giving you a way back. Can we pretend like all that didn't, can we wipe all that past away? I wanna start over and I'm offering you a renewed covenant agreement. Will you come home with me? Will you come home and choose to be faithful and I will take you out of this place. You take my hand and I'll lead you home. I'll make a path for you to get back. And that's what Jesus does for us. It's what he's always done for us. It's what he's always wanted. It's what he guarantees he will always do. There will always be a path back. No matter how lost we are, no matter what's blocking us, our anger, our confusion, our hurt, our pain, our feelings of worthlessness, our ignorance, our pride, whatever it is that shackles us and keeps us in that wasteland, he always reaches out a hand and offers a way back because God's faithfulness is strange. It's a stranger thing. God's faithfulness is so strange because he should be done with us. This isn't even faithfulness. It goes beyond faithfulness to the point where he renews a covenant already broken that he would have perfect rights to get out of. Any of us just watching this story from a distance say, God, dump your people. Wreck it all. Destroy it all. Like, why would you reach out to them? Why would Jesus go do this? When we choose this life on our own, why would he reach? All of us would say, God, you have perfect justification for giving up on this relationship. But his, his faithfulness is so strange that he loves us so much that he reaches back even when we don't want him. He always initiates. It's never us. He always makes a way. He always breaks through and is trying to break through what we can't see through. God's strange faithfulness. And because of God's strange faithfulness, unfaithfulness never has to be the end. If we choose to take the hand and step out of the place where we are. And Hosea 14.1 calls out for us to respond. And here's the call in Hosea 14.1 to all of us. Return. Return. Come back. Take the hand. I'm here. There's a path. I'm reaching out. Will you take my hand? Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you. Man, words count. When we can't in a moment show God that we're going to be faithful to him, he takes our heart's cry. He sees our hearts and he accepts it. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him in that moment, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips, 
Assyria can't save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. There's always a path of faithfulness with God. There's always a path. The question is, will we choose to take it? Always choose the path of faithfulness. When you're faced with a choice, maybe you're hearing you don't know God and you're wondering, man, should I, should I reach out to God? Should I come to him? Always take the path that's gonna lead you into that loving, fulfilling, eternal, incredible relationship that knows no comparison. When you're at school and you're wondering, should I be faithful to God or should I just kind of go along with what everyone's doing? Always take the path of faithfulness. At work, always take the path of faithfulness. At home, what will lead you into a close relationship with God? Take that path. Never choose strangers. Always choose the path of faithfulness over stranger things. And faithfulness comes back. That's what faithfulness does. When we're unfaithful and we realize it, faithfulness always comes back. Choose to come back. When you've fallen, when you've seen yourself slip away, choose to come back. And let him lead you back. All those things, all those things that God said he wanted in faithfulness, be dependent on him, be loyal to him, choose him, acknowledge him, look him in the eye, listen to him, be all the things and pursue all of the things that make for a great marriage and a great relationship with any human being. Pursue those things with God. Be faithful, reliable, dependable, Reach, pursue, show them your affection, your devotion. Romans 5 says this so plainly, so beautifully. So where we started in worship in the scripture, we come back to Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right with God in his sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What is the path of faithfulness for you today? What is the path of faithfulness for you today? Maybe for you, it's opening your heart for the first time to Jesus. Maybe for you, it's opening your heart for the first time in a long time to God. Maybe you've felt like you've been faithful, but if you really look at it, just like we can look at any relationship, you can see where there are areas that you've not been truly faithful, like dependency. Who have you been reaching out to? Who who have you been depending on? Who have you been spending all your time with? What has slowly crept in and started to create maybe little wedges in your relationship with God. Just like any marriage, we've always had to be looking at it and working on it. What things are our ways 
that some of those things can grow? Are there, are there areas that need to be addressed? God, I, I wanna be more faithful to you in this area. And there's so many areas we can look at. Just like the Israelites, one crack led to many. What way can you look at your life and say, God, I wanna choose the path of faithfulness. I don't wanna let anything negative grow in my life. I don't want anything to have the potential to draw me away from you. So will you be faithful? For some of you, that's the question. Maybe as you sit here today, maybe you found it fairly easy or, or you've been getting it done, but the question is, will you be faithful? When things get hard, will you, will you be faithful? It's easy on the wedding day to say that, but when, when hard times come, when sickness comes, when devastation comes, when temptation comes, will you be faithful then? It's always good to think about that and to reaffirm that commitment to God that, God, I'm gonna be faithful to you no matter what comes. And I'll tell you real quickly, one thing that hit me like a ton of bricks today after first service when I was down here praying for me personally, and I'll share it. I don't know if it would be meaningful to you as well. The scripture where Jesus says, um, if you've looked at, another, uh, at a woman, another woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. I've never thought about that uh, in the way that I thought about it this morning, spiritually. It's intended to be literal. It's the way Matthew, it's the way Jesus intended, it's the way Matthew records it. But I thought about it choosing God's way over, over my way. And honestly, I thought this morning, like sometimes when I look and you know those, those times when you're like, man, I could live this life or I could have this or man, I wish it was like this or I, I don't have to put up with this. I wonder if it's kind of like me saying, to Shelly, my wife, like, I, I, I kind of wish I was with someone else sometimes. I, well, I wonder what it would be like if, if I was with another woman and how that would hurt her. And, and if she said it to me, how it would hurt me. And I wonder if in my heart I've even looked with lust on another way of life or looked on other things other than the calling he's placed on me and where he's leading me. And I found myself praying, God, I don't even want to look at those. I don't even want to desire after anything else but you. I want to be totally fulfilled and totally content with who you are and what you give me because it's so much and it's more than I deserve. Help me never even to look at another way with lust in my heart because you are more than enough for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I want to encourage you to think and to pray what you need to pray this morning to God regarding all of this that we've talked about and seen in his word. What do you need to say to Jesus this morning? What decision do you need to make that's gonna bring you closer to where God wants you to be, closer to the relationship with him that you need to have? What choices do you need to make that are gonna bring you closer into your relationship with him instead of further away? Will you be faithful to him no matter what? In every area, in every context? Man, God shouldn't be worried about us when we go out. Just like our spouses shouldn't be worried about us when we're not around them. They should just trust that we're doing the right stuff and being loyal to them. God shouldn't worry about us when we're out there in the world. He should know that our hearts are his and we would never make a decision to walk away from him or choose someone else over him. Can God count on you that way? And what needs to happen for that trust to be there? Man, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God. And I don't know what's got you to this place or if it's just always been that way, but he loves you. He loves you and he's reaching for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. I've never regretted my decision to invite Jesus into my life to lead me, to guide me and to be my everything, to forgive my sin and to take my life. 
I encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe that's a stretch for you. Maybe you're having a hard time overcoming your confusion, your anger, your doubt. I encourage you to have the strength to step out of that place and give this relationship with God the chance that it deserves, the chance that he earned by paying for it on the cross. So if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you know this morning the best decision you could make is to lay your life in his hands and take his hand and walk out of that place where you are. I wanna encourage you this morning when the worship starts to get up from your seat and come down and find a place to pray and just tell him that. Just say it to him and invite him to flood your life with that love. Put in the past behind, start something new with him. There'll be prayer partners down here and they would love to pray with you. If you wanna go up to a prayer partner and say, hey, can you pray with me about this? I need someone to pray with me. I want someone to pray with me about this. Maybe you're here and you, your prayer is you need to come hit these carpets down here and say, God, forgive me. I've not been faithful to you. I've had a lot of words and there have been some, some holes in my faithfulness. I've not been depending on you the way I should. I've, I've kind of been reaching out for some other things. I've been looking at other things with lust in my heart and I wanna be faithful to you. Forgive me for that. Can we shore up and strengthen our relationship? Maybe you're here today and faithfulness is you participating in God's greatest thing. He invites us all to be about what he's passionate. If he's passionate about winning his bride back, shouldn't we be too? Look at, what, look what Hosea did to participate in the plan of God. God, wreck my life so that other people can come back to you. If, if Jesus will walk into a brothel to save us, then where, where should we be willing to go to meet someone else? How far should we be willing to go to reach out to that person who needs to know who Jesus is? Is there any place too dirty, any place we shouldn't go, anyone we shouldn't accept? Maybe that's your prayer this morning. God, I wanna be faithful to you. Call me further in. I wanna do more to get this message out there. I wanna serve you more. And if it wrecks my life to serve you and to do your will, then God, wreck my life. I'm here, I'm putting it down. Maybe that's your prayer as you hit the carpet. It says, call me further into ministry for you. Maybe your prayer is, God, give me the strength to carry this out. I know where you're calling me. Holy Spirit, empower me to do what you want me to do. And I know that tomorrow holds the unknown. My prayer today, God, is give me the strength to be faithful in my darkest hour, my worst moment and my greatest temptation. Maybe that's your prayer today. Jesus, as, as these who are here today pray these prayers and reach out to you, I pray that you would do good work in hearts and minds, that you would hear these prayers, unleash your mercy, your forgiveness, and your love, unleash your power and strength. God, I pray that we would be faithful to you and make the decisions that we need to make that lead to faithfulness, to choose the path of faithfulness. Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.